You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Well, good morning. Today, we're back in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to watch Nehemiah win. We're going to watch Nehemiah finish this wall, if you've been part of this series. If not, we'll catch you up, and it'll, it'll make sense to you. But I love talking about winning. One is, I hate to lose, and played golf yesterday, and I lost. So I'm going to talk about winning. Uh, we're going to talk not just about winning in general, but winning at the game of life. The Bible calls it the race of life. We're going to talk about winning it, not losing it. When I look at the news, there's winners and losers, whether it's a political race or a sports contest, you know, half of them win, half of them lose. Um, But in the Bible, one thing I love about the scriptures is that everyone gets to win that wants to win. We're not competing against one another. We're here to help each other win. And I want you to win. I want you to enjoy life. One of my favorite winning verses comes on Paul's almost deathbed. In 2 Timothy 4, when he says, uh, I have, these are past tense now, he's still alive. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and my reward is waiting on me. Can you imagine how it would feel that before you leave this life, that you know that you know that you know that you finished the race of life and won it in a way that Jesus is going to hand you personally your reward for finishing. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Just the sense of satisfaction and, and that you didn't waste a life and the joy that, that, can, that Paul experienced before he left. He knew that he'd finished. And, and what's sad often about as I work with people and followers of Christ is most of them don't give thought to that. They really have this idea that I cannot win, that God is asking me to do so many things and his standards are so high that I cannot win. I just have to do the best I can and maybe he'll grade on the curve and maybe something good will happen. But we want to win. That's a bad attitude. And most Christ followers have uh, are demotivated uh, to finish the race well because, again, you're not motivated to do something you think is impossible. So one thing I want to do today is help you Really believe that it's possible to win and experience before you die the, the, just the knowledge that Paul had that I've won, that I've finished the race that God has set me out to. So I'm a little pop quiz to make the point. You ready? Which one of these three things are possible? Okay. Which one of these three things? First of all, lift a 5,000 pound rock. No, probably not. Okay. Uh, jump over the moon. No, finish and win the race of the Christian life. It's the one that's possible. And the reason I shared in those terms is because, again, it's demotivating. I'm not very motivated to work out in a sense so that I can try to accomplish jumping over the moon because it's impossible. Things that are impossible don't motivate me to try to do them. 
lifting a 5,000-pound rock. I couldn't lift a 500, barely a 50-pound rock. So it's demotivating. I'm not going to work out and try to lift a 5,000-pound rock. It's something that's impossible. I'm not going to try. And so if you're convinced that it's impossible to live the Christian life in a, in a way and enjoy the smile of God in a way that you know that you can win this race of life, you won't set forth with any effort or intentionality at actually winning. But we can. Everyone can win that wants to. And we're going to look at Nehemiah win. And I believe, hopefully, my prayer is that we'll be motivated to win. Which requires that we finish. And we're going to watch him finish the wall this morning. Fortunately, God's spoken on this issue. We're going to dig into this uh, Nehemiah passage and, and uh, chapter 6. You can begin to turn there. And as we look in there today, we're going to get a new God awareness. Because... People that are demotivated and somehow aren't crystal clear that they can actually win the race of life in God's eyes have a horrible view of God. And so we're going to give you a better view of God, one that you can enjoy a lot more than the one that you think is just messing around with you or tinkering with you or setting up the system or the circumstances of your life in a way in which you cannot win. God's not out playing games with you. He's not playing, you know, hide and seek. He's not playing some cat and mouse game. I mean, God's all in. He's revealed everything you need to know in this book. He's given the spirit, if you want the spirit, to help illuminate how to win. He's all in. So let's go after him. We'll get a new God awareness and hopefully we'll get a new self-awareness about our part to play because your part's going to look a lot different than anyone else's part. You've got a unique part to play, which is why you can win and why we need to help each other win. And so today we're going to simply look not at everything you need to know about finishing, because I don't know everything. We're just going to look at the ABCs of finishing well. Three things today that I think to finish well out of Nehemiah 6 on page 401, if you've got the same Bible I have, but Nehemiah chapter 6 in the Old Testament. And before we read it, oh, we forgot to announce also, someone left their phone in the bathroom a while ago, and Luke has it in his pocket. So if you're panicked right now about your phone, um, anyway, so that's just an alert to say, pay attention, we're about to read God's Word, okay? Wow, it's awesome. That alerts to say, we have to, it's a still small voice sometimes. I don't know. Before I read this passage, though, I want you to know that finishing's not automatic. And many don't finish well. That's really funny. But in more seriousness, I mean, many don't finish. The just unrelenting distractions that come at us, and the voices, and the messages, and the temptations, many just give up along the way. But the good news of the story we'll look at today is that no matter where you are today, if you've gotten off to a great start in life, praise God, but don't get arrogant. You're not finished yet. Finish. And if you've gotten off to a horrible start, like Paul did, murdering Christians, good news for you. The guy I just told you about who won the race of life was a murderer and he encountered the grace of God. And the Spirit of God came in him to finish. So, not all finish. Some get distracted. But that didn't have to be you. Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 to 16. Just to give you a little heads up. It's not until verse 15. It says that he finished the wall. So, these are some really cool things about how he finished. 
in these first few verses. We're going to look at these new distractions that have come in. Uh, Adam and Jared have done a great job talking about how to fight all the enemies from internal fear that Adam talked about and all these external enemies. Uh, and we're going to just see this unrelenting uh, enemy that doesn't want Nehemiah to finish. And first we're going to see him trying to distract him. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafarim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, now listen to this verse, it's going to be a key verse this morning. He basically says, no, I ain't going to meet you out on some plane that I can't pronounce. He says, no, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. So four times, four more times. He said, no, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down in the same way. So that that's was a this distraction wanted to get him away from the work in these next few verses we're going to see him kind of go to really intimidation because we're going to send an open letter and try to to scare them with the enemies it says in the same way Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand and it is written and is reported among the nations and Geshem also says it that you and the Jews intend to rebel that is why you're building the wall and according to these reports you wish to become their king And you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work. And it will not be done But now, O God, strengthen my hands. And that's a prayer we're going to need to learn. Now, right now, God, strengthen my hands. So right now, God, strengthen my hands and my voice and everyone's ears to hear your voice. Then in verse 10, they're going to try to really discredit him and have his character go down by breaking God's law. Look what he does in 10. There's the unrelenting pressure to stop and not finish. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, uh, I can't pronounce these names. I'm not going to try to pretend. But son of uh, Mahetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. I And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin, so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Verse 15, so the wall was finished against all odds and against unrelenting attack from the devil. It says the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly 
in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Pray to this guy with me. Oh God, thank you that you gave these guys the power to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Despite and against all human odds. Help everyone in here, Father, hear you and hear from you today. Give us your power and strength now and accomplish. Help us to finish with the help of our God, this race called life. Amen. Amen. So the ABCs of finishing, the first point, the A is aim. Take dead aim at finishing a great work. Again, look back in verse 3. Love, love, love this phrase. The audacity that Nehemiah could say, I'm doing a great work. Can you say that? Do you see why he was able to finish? Because he knew he was doing a great work. He knew he was doing God's work. And that's motivating. He knew the voice of God. He had said over and over, all I was doing what God put in my heart to do. He said over and over, it's the good hand of my God upon me to do this. He and God were a close enough relationship that he knew he was doing God's will, doing God's work, doing it God's way. And that's why he was able to finish this wall. And so he aimed at finishing the great work because he knew it was a worthy work, a great work. And that's what this series in Nehemiah, the elders have named it, Holy Ambition. Not just any ambition will do, but a God-sent holy ambition. We're trying to move from the ruin of selfish ambition to the revival that holy ambition brings. Now, to get this book and to get this message, you have to understand one very, very important thing. You have to understand why in the world it was important to build a wall more than 2,000 years ago. What does Nehemiah finishing a wall in 52 days A couple thousand years ago have to do with me and you today. Well, one, anytime we read Scripture, Scripture is written first and foremost to tell us about who our great God is. We're going to learn some things about our great God. But this was not just any wall. This was a wall around Jerusalem. So this is why this was a great work, not just building a wall around his own personal garden. It was a great work because it was a wall around Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. And Israel was the people of God. It was the epicenter of God's activity in the world. It's where God said he wanted to live in Israel. And there was a temple. And that's where God lived. And they were supposed to bless the world. They had disobeyed and forsaken their God and been scattered out in captivity. And now he's bringing them back. And so they were rebuilding. They were reforming the mission of God and reforming the people of God. And the wall had a part to do with it. They had already, under Zerubbabel and Ezra, had come back and begun to rebuild the temple and finish that. And began to rebuild the people. And now they're finishing the wall for protection so they could set up just the church of their day. This was supposed to be... An incredible city. It's a church of light. I mean, it's a city of light, a city of grace, and a city of joy. It was a city of light because it was supposed to tell the whole world how who God was and who they were and, and what life's about and where they came from and where they were going and how to win at this game of life. It was light. And that's why we gather here today because you're going to hear things today that you're not going to hear on Facebook or social media. You're not going to hear them on Netflix. You're not going to hear them at school about what a great work is. We have to gather as the people of God and get into the word of God to hear the voice of God to know what's great and what's wasteful. And it was a city of light, but it was also a city of grace. 
It's where all the temple was there. The temple was where the sacrifices happened. So an innocent firstborn male lamb could be a substitutionary sacrifice. And the people would get to go free of their sins for another year. It was a city of light, a city of grace, and it was a city of joy. All the grace and all the light poured out on the people of God would just make them rejoice. And anyone on planet earth knew how to party, it was the Jews, because they set up all these festivals. And all these half the tithes went to parties and festivals to remember and rejoice. And in fact, the mission of Israel in Psalm 67, 4 was joy. It says, let the nations be glad. It was a city. That was designed to be a city of light and grace and joy. And that's why when he got the report in chapter 1 and said, The walls are in this falling down and the city's in disrepair and the people living in shame. That's why it broke his heart and he cried and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. Because the city of Jerusalem, the city of light, the city of grace, the city of joy was broken down. And the people of God were missing out on the purposes and mission of God. It was sad. And he wanted to do his part to fix it. And that's important to us because guess what? We are the people of God, the church, not Israel. We're not supposed to go over there because Jesus has come. And we, the people of God, the church, is God's plan A to bless the world. Plan A. And there is no plan B. And so that's why when Jesus came, he says, you're a people of light. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father. So, we're part of the church, we're part of the people of God, we're part of light, to bring light to help make sense to our cities and our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our friends and our family, who God is and who they are and where we come from, where we're going and how to win at this game of life. But the church is a place, it's a city filled with grace. Because, you see, we don't go to temple sacrifices. Jesus is the ultimate, better, perfect sacrifice. He is the innocent, perfect, firstborn, male, lamb of God. Who came to take away the sins of the world. It's the church that gets to experience that. And gets to tell others about that. And it's also Jared's favorite, one of his favorite verses. This is supposed to be a place of joy. When the gospel reached Samaria, it said there was much joy in that city is because they had experienced light and they had experienced grace and experts have said of the early church about the mission of god it wasn't duty it was just an explosion of joy they just couldn't believe the depth of the riches of the mercy and grace of god that they could be forgiven of all their sins and get to dwell with him forever and ever on a new heaven new earth they were overjoyed and they couldn't shut up and they wouldn't shut up and so, Nehemiah knew he was doing a great work. And we need to know we're doing a great work. Because just as the people of God needed the mission of God, and the people of God through Jerusalem and Israel needed some reframing and reforming, the church in the south needs some reforming. The church in the south needs to understand we've forgotten who we are. And God's rebirthing the church. He's doing, just from my limited perspective, he's, he's opening the bride of Jesus to understand who they are as the missional people of God around these concepts of grace and of Jesus and of mission and of family and community. And God's doing a really cool work. But the work's not finished. But hear this. 
It's a great work. It's worthy of all of your lives to be part of a church. I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about the church. And so, family of God, I need you to hear this. Okay, I, I got it. So, it's a great work. I'm going to motivate you. So, and I was thinking about that. And uh, I know Jared likes military stuff. So, uh, I found this great military speech, Gettysburg Address. It's less than 60 seconds, the part I'm going to read. So, who wrote the Gettysburg Address? Abraham Lincoln. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. So what battlefield are they talking about? Where was it? Gettysburg. See, that's why it's called the Gettysburg Address. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men... Living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us. That those uh, that oh, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. Pretty good speech. Love my country. But I love the church even more. We should take heed from Abraham Lincoln. And that we have unfinished work. And it's for the living to take at heart. To be rededicated here today to doing the great work. And join Jesus in advancing the church. The church is going to win. I don't know about America. But the church is going to win. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus is the head of the church. And we win. God's on the move. We have great opportunity in this day and age to participate with him and join him in doing our part for something great and awesome. Want to do it? Again, if you've got off to a great start, praise God, but don't get arrogant. You hadn't finished. If you've not even started, if you've been... Had a horrible start. You haven't been living for God one minute. Rejoice. Today's a great day. You can get a part of the most important thing that will happen on planet earth. Being part of Jesus' church and the advance of his church. So I've got my own little rah-rah speech to the elders. To all of you. Elders, leading this church is a great work. Finish. The scripture says that it's your job to hear from God together and lead us. First Peter 5 says, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exerting oversight, 
not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So finish. And members, the next verse tells you that following your elders is great work. So finish. It goes on to say, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Prayer warriors at fellowship, you're doing a great work. Finish. Matthew 6 promises that God sees you, that God hears you, and that God answers you. Finish. MC leaders, you're doing a great work. You're making disciples who make disciples. Keep going. Finish. Don't quit. Go and make disciples. Multiply. What, just like 2 Timothy 2.2 2, 2 says, Multiply yourself in what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Because we need a lot more missional communities to bring light and grace and joy to new people who haven't experienced light and grace and joy. MC members, you're doing a great work. Finish. Use your spiritual gifts to serve. You've got a unique role to play. The Bible says that you should um, outdo one another in showing honor. So be the chief encourager in, in your group. When you see someone doing anything close to resembling correct or right or good, praise them for it. Tell them something. Anybody can find something wrong with somebody. Anybody. That doesn't take greatness. It takes great to be an encourager. Kids, workers, and parents, you're doing a great work. Finish. It's a noble work. Train up a new generation that will bless others with light and grace and joy. Deacons and welcome team, you're doing a great work serving. Finish. Finish. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life away uh, for many. As a ransom for many. Be a servant. The spirit of the servants in you. Worship and sound team, you're doing a great work. Finish. Don't quit. God himself personally inhabits the praises of his people. You help us encounter the living God week after week. Men and women who work in the great factories, in the great businesses and marketplace, in schools in this city, you're doing a great work. Finish. Don't give up. You're doing a beautiful work. You're producing goods and services that bless people. You're incarnating the, the real presence of Jesus wherever you go. So take light and grace and joy wherever you go. If you're regularly sharing the gospel with your friends and co-workers, you're doing a great work. Keep going. Finish. Romans tells us how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You're serving behind the scenes and totally unnoticed. Especially beautiful work. Because 1 Corinthians 12 says the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You're doing an indispensable work. We may not even know to thank you. But finish. Do it under the Lord. If you're a generous giver, you're doing a great work. Finish. Finish. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. If you're caring for orphans and widows and the unborn, you're doing a great work. Finish. This is all the work of the church. James says this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God. Guests, you need to partner with a local church. 
and do your part and use your gifts and worship. It's God's plan A, plan A to bless the world. You want to be part of blessing the world? Get involved in a church. So church, we've got to finish. We've only just begun. We have to aim at finishing. Therefore, we have to aim at doing something great. And so it's so often easy because we get so distracted again by all the messages in the news, all the messages of entertainment, all the messages in school, and they're not giving you this message that being part of a church and advancing the mission of Jesus is a great work. In fact, the greatest work that you could ever do. So you hear that? That's one reason we gather. You got to come here. And we need to hear from God because we hear so many other voices. Nehemiah finished the wall because he was able to say, I'm doing a great work. So hopefully most of you just got described in my list. But I want you to be able to say unto God, I'm doing a great work. I'm part of something great. Not that I'm doing it perfectly. That's not what Nehemiah was saying. He just says, I'm part of something so much bigger than myself. I'm doing a great work and I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to come down. I'm not going to be distracted. And I'm going to finish. So let's finish. Now, if you're here today and your life is aimed at something less than God's will, less than being part of Jesus' church, if your life is aimed at or you've been distracted from just living to be use your gifts in a local church, Today, you need to turn to the living God, and you need to confess and agree that you're wasting your life. But guess what? God's not mad with you. He poured out all of his anger on Jesus. It would be, Jesus would love nothing more today. He would be super pleased today to forgive you of all of your sins, every one of them. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Today's the day of salvation. Today, you get to start. Let's start. Are you involved in something great? Jesus says his church is something great. That's why he says the church is my bride. Do you love the church as much as Jesus loves the church? Jesus called it his army. Jesus says it's my body. It's me. I can't even distinguish me from it. So it's easy to poke at the church because we mess up all the time. But the church is beautiful because its head is beautiful. And doing your part in a church is great work. Have I said that before? Have I said that enough? But you're not hearing it out there. It's worth living and dying for and your intentionality and your great effort. So aim at finishing a great work. But the but let's go on to number, number two. So there are ABCs. Let's aim at a great work. Well, let me just stop right there one second. Because if you don't know and have assurance that you've been forgiven by God, you, you can't be part of a great work till God does a great work in you. You can't be part of God's great work until actually a great work's been done to you. And so the word for you today is surrender. Surrender your whole life, all the good parts, and all of your wickedness and your sins and surrender to a gracious father whose arms are open 
whose son has already died in your place, and he just wants to love you and forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and pour out his spirit in you and do a great work in you and lead you to be in part of a meaningful, purposeful, great work so that you, like Paul, can finish and go, man, I made a lot of mistakes, but I did my part. I finished my race. That's what God wants for you. But we'll never finish this race. I mean, I, that's okay. There's the motivational part, right? We've got to aim. We've got to be intentional. We can whip you into a frenzy. You might be motivated. You may not be. If you're not, I pray God will motivate you. God, motivate us. But just making a decision that I'm going to aim at being part of a great work isn't enough. We'll never finish in our own strength. That's why this point, too, is important. The ABCs, this is the B. Believe God's good hand is on you to do your great work. By the way, that was the longest of the three points, so don't worry. Uh, believe God's good hand is on you to do your great work. See, Nehemiah is a beautiful picture of how the whole community came together to do their part and repair their, the wall in front of their home. And there were all sorts of places, and they were all worked together. So greatness is doing your part, not somebody else's part. Just do your part. God's assigned you a gift and a place and a neighborhood and a workplace just to do your part. And the other thing that's cool about Nehemiah was Nehemiah wasn't the spiritual leader. Nehemiah was a government worker. He was a cupbearer. He ended up being the governor. But he was an ordinary guy whose heart got broken over what broke God's heart. And he did his part. He was made aware of the problem that the people of God were under shame and derision. It made him sad. It made him angry. So he prayed. And God gave him a vision for his part. And he said, send me to Judah. Then I may rebuild it. And he prayed some more. And he stepped out into fear. And he took risk with the king. It, you know, he could have been killed for asking what he asked for. But if you're in Nehemiah, look at chapter 2, verse 8. Because the point is that God is the hero. This is great. To win at life, we have to understand this great, the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility. This great partnership between God's initiative and our response. And that's what we see. Because God is the hero. And that's what we have to understand in Nehemiah. God's the hero. And so when he asked the king in verse, uh, eight, uh, verse 8 of chapter 2, he, went, he said, And the good king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And then look at verse 12. See, God's the hero. God's the initiator. He says, I, once he got on sight there in Jerusalem, he goes, I got up in the night. A few went with me, with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. See, God puts desires in your heart. He wants us to pay attention to those. And he's going to put different desires in mine and yours. Then look, uh, chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. It says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. The thing is, the best blessing you can ever get in life is to join in God's mission and participate with him. And you'll understand that it's the good hand of God upon you. Then when opposition comes, uh, in chapter 4, verse 20, God's the hero. Chapter 4, verse 20, in the place, he's basically talking about, hey, man, because they got threatened with attack, military attack. And he says, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. One reason we can win at life when we join Jesus' work as opposed to mediocre work because Jesus is the head of the church and Jesus is guaranteed it's going to be a winner. 
He's going to triumph. He's already defeated the, de- the devil and the grave, and he's going to win. So he might as well jump on a winning team, right? And so, and then one more verse just to show you God's sovereignty in this. In uh, the chapter we're in, verse 9. When trouble came, when they wanted to distract him and intimidate him, it says, but now, O God, in the moment, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. See, Nehemiah finished because he aimed at a good work, but he also finished because he knew he couldn't, he was aiming at something so great he couldn't do it in his own strength. It was God's desire and God's strength. God's the hero of that story. Frankly, so many of us aren't experiencing God's power because we're aiming at something that doesn't need God's power to accomplish. There are certain things we can win at that just don't need God's power. But if we aim at using our gifts for the advance of his church, we need God's power. And that's what Nehemiah experienced. And that's what um, we can experience. No great work has ever been done apart from God's empowering presence. But I have good news for you today. See, Nehemiah is pretty impressive. I mean, I love the story of Nehemiah. One of my favorites. One of my favorites. But what's impressive is the spirit of Nehemiah within him. It was the spirit of God. More specifically, Jesus is a better and greater Nehemiah. And the good news is today for you trying to finish is that Jesus Christ will send the spirit of God in you when you surrender and give your life to him. And it's absolutely necessary for finishing work for the spirit to live within you. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. And I just want to show you for a minute how this book of Nehemiah really is supposed to paint a beautiful picture of Christ. But I'm showing you this so you can have confidence in the Jesus and the Spirit of Christ within you. This is a beautiful uh, book, this Nehemiah. And you see the parallel how Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. Because in chapter 1, verse 4, Nehemiah saw Jerusalem and he wept over the city. You know what Jesus did when he got to Jerusalem? Four or five hundred years later... Luke 19, when he came near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it. And in chapter 2, verse 17 in Nehemiah, he said, Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. You know what Jesus is in the process of doing? He's not building the wall of Jerusalem. Revelation tells us he's building the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, a holy city that's coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband that's going to come down on the new earth. You see, Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. He's building a greater Jerusalem. And in chapters all the way through Nehemiah, the devil raged against Nehemiah. And God helped him prevail. And all the way through Jesus' life, the devil raged against Jesus. And then one of my favorites is, that I've already told you, in uh, Nehemiah 6.3, when he says, I'm doing a great work, not going to come down. Doing a great work, not going to come down. Remember four times, I'm doing a great work, I'm not going to come down. No, I'm doing a great work, I'm not going to come down. Guess what? When Jesus was on the cross, it was said of this by the crowd. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He too was tempted to be distracted from his mission. But Jesus, for your sake and mine, said, not coming down. Not coming down off the cross. See, Jesus is a greater Nehemiah. And Nehemiah finished the wall for the physical protection of God's finished. And it said, we just saw it in Nehemiah 6.15. The wall was finished. But guess what Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. 
He's talking about the redemption of all of his people. A full salvation. One for you. It's finished. He didn't get down. He finished it. For the spiritual protection of God's people. And one more. There's lots of other analogies. But in, um, I love this verse 16 of Nehemiah. It's talked about how the nations just around them were afraid. Because they perceived this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Well guess what? There's a day coming when every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. All the nations will be gathered before Jesus. And he will separate them one for another. As the shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And so friends, as you live life. If you're aiming at something great. You're going to need God's power. The spirit of Jesus. On the authority of the word of God. Is in you. The finisher. The lover of your soul. There's nothing he calls you to that you can't do because he promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We can finish as we stay dependent on him and keep crying out just like Nehemiah did in verse uh, verse 9. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Because we cry out to Jesus because Jesus knows how to finish what he started. Wind this down to get real practical. We have to aim at a great work. We have to believe God's good hand is on us for the great work. Because he's the hero of the story. And see simply, the sea is simple. Just counter one great work this week. You see, you can't finish something 20 years from now. You need to figure out what you're going to do today and this week. A little saying. Got planted church with a long time ago said, Mitch Mayer. Inch by inch, life's a sense. Yard by yard, life's hard. You know how great works are done? One day at a time. One act at a time. So let's just get practical. Put something on your calendar. Holy Spirit, stir everybody up in here to do one thing this week that's great, that participates in the church, in the mission of God. The key to finishing is starting and taking small steps, inch by inch. Life's the same. So put something on your calendar. I got a quote from Ray Orland Jr. about this to talk about calendar. Dear exhausted Christian, maybe you feel small, overlooked, overwhelmed, but the truth is your steady obedience to Jesus. One step at a time is making a crucial contribution to history by his hidden power far beyond your calculations or even your weaknesses. You so matter. Just leave that up. That's the truth. God's got this whole thing rigged, not to make you fail, but to use your best dependent action and effort and intentionality and calendaring for eternity. It's crazy grace. He just wants to give you something to do, then empower you to do it, and then reward you for doing it. He's good. He's good. He says, follow me. My ways are easy. I'm meek and gentle. And so just as we think about just three categories of things you might counsel, uh, calendar, uh, just think of these three, three R's. Maybe you want to calendar some reflection time, some reading time, or risking time. And I get this from Billy Graham. I think at the end of his life, man who finished well, still says, I wish I would have Reflected more, read more, and risked more. So maybe you need to calendar some reflection time. Maybe you just need to go, God, what is my life currently aimed at? If I succeed in everything I'm going after right now, 
Will it be a great work when I'm finished? Will I be able to say on my current course what Paul said when he said, I've finished the race and I'm going to get rewarded from Jesus. Maybe you need to reflect more or maybe you just need to reflect more by asking your question, where am I wasting time or am I just wasting my whole life? Or, yeah, that's good for there. Calendar some reading time, you know, read this thing. In here, it rejoices your heart, restores your soul. It's light, it's grace, it's joy. It'll show you who God is and who you are and where you're going. Read more. Maybe you need to read about spiritual gifts and so you can just worship God with your gift and bless your missional community and your fight club uh, with your gifts. And I've actually uh, got from Jared, and I sent to all the MC leaders a simple spiritual gift inventory. So if this is hitting you and you need to know more about your spiritual gifts, go to your MC leader and say, send me that free little spiritual gift test. And then talk with them. How can I use these gifts to bless real people in real time? And then see, maybe you need to counter not some reflect time or read time, but some risk time. Maybe you need to calendar some risk. Maybe there's one person you say, he's not yet a follower of Christ, and I need to share the gospel with him this week, and I'm going to put it on my calendar. Or I need to create a prayer list for all my not yet believing friends. Or I need to have them over for dinner. Maybe there's a risk. Maybe you could just do some risk. Maybe this is risk and reflection time, but you just kind of answer questions like this. About your city like Nehemiah did. Like what breaks my heart about Paragould or Jonesboro or Arkansas or whatever place that God has on your heart. What breaks my heart? What makes me cry? What makes me mad? What makes me sad? Just reflect on that. And maybe take some risk about that. Maybe just spend 30 minutes reading and say, God, what risk do you want me to take? Just ask that Nehemiah 2.12 question. What's, what, God, what are you putting on my heart to do for my city? And then risk to start it. Are you, is he calling you to risk and start a new nonprofit, a new MC? I mean, dream. Dream. Risk. Just spend some time this week. Just say, man, I just need to spend 30 minutes and answer these questions. I love to answer these questions. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? What are you asking Jesus to do in you and through you? Who would you recruit to the cause if you were crystal clear on the great work God's called you to do? I won't get into it, but chapter 7 is crazy because Nehemiah basically said, Well, I'm done with this part of it. And he turned over the leadership of the city to other guys. And the next phrase, well, then God put something else on his heart to do. It's super cool. And so he recruited others and used others. Like could go on and on, but the key point is, I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ, and He wants to lead you this week. So, what's one thing you want to counter to spend 30 minutes doing this week? That means to counter something is intentional. Write it down, type it in. Is He calling you to do something? Don't ignore His voice, He leads you well. Well, God is eager to forgive you. God is eager to fill you, and God is eager to help you finish. Let's pray. Father God, Nehemiah was a man. He was a cupbearer. He's a government worker, and you put something on his heart to do. Put things on our heart to do. Help us to believe that 
doing our part, using our gifts to build up the body of Christ is the greatest thing we can do. Because the body of Christ is the greatest thing on planet earth. It's God's plan A to bless the city. No one else has been tasked like the church has. And we have all the advantages. We have the best message. The only essential message of light and grace and joy. And we have Jesus as our head. And we're the people of God, saved by the power of God, and dwelt with the very presence of God, sent out for the purposes of God. We have all the advantages. Father, stir within us a desire to finish the race, but not any race. Give us a holy ambition. Give us godly desires. Oh, help us. You are sweet to include us in your plans. Thank you. What a privilege. Glad you're going to win, Jesus. Help us endure to the end. Oh, strengthen our hands to finish. Amen.